Genre. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Riri Williams from the comic book series Ironheart. And joining me for the discussion is first-time guest Raven Stringfield. Welcome, Raven. Hi, thank you for having me. So glad to have you on. We're discussing the comic book series Ironheart that was written by Eve L. Ewing with art by Luciano Vecchio and G. Jeffo and Kevin Labranda. And this is a comic book series that I had heard about by listening to comic book review podcasts, but I had not yet actually picked up and I was super excited to do it. And I consumed this so fast. It was such an easy binge <laughs> to, to get through the 12 issues that we have. I wish there was more. As soon as I, I was finished, I was like, oh, I wish there was more to this. Um, so. Raven, because of that, this is more something that I saw some of your academic research uh, and, and uh, reached out to you, and you said you would come on to talk about this character. So maybe I should ask you first, why is this character special to you? How did you first come to this character, and why did, why does she stand out? Yeah, so um, just like quickly about my academic research, I study Black girls in uh, fantasy new media narratives, and I came across Riri Williams um, because I'm a follower of Eve Ewing's work, um, the author of this particular series. I'm definitely someone who once I read one thing by an author that I really, really like, I have to do a deep dive. Um, and so when I saw that she was writing Riri Williams, who I had read a couple of the comics, the Bendis comics, but I was like not super um, in love with it. But I saw that e-viewing um, also from Chicago, Riri is like from Chicago. I was, I had to see what it was going to be about. And so I bought the first issue, the first line hooked me and I was a goner and I was a Riri stan ever since. <laughs> Uh, and I'm going to put myself in that category too, <laughs> both for Eve L. Ewing and also the character of Riri, Riri Williams, um, just really compelling writing, uh, that, that was given in these 12 issues and the character, um, stood out with like just, just enough to like differentiate from all the other superheroes that are out there where it's like, ah, I, th I think I need to seek out a little more of this particular character. Um, you noted that Riri Williams first appeared in comics written by Brian Michael Bendis uh, with art by Mike Diodato. Those are the creators uh, of this character. And that was in 2016. And um, that was in when, when Bendis was writing Iron Man. And this character um, is a girl who kind of reverse engineers Iron Man armor and builds her own set of armor that ends up with some distinct power uh, sets that, that do differentiate it from Iron Man. Um, after that, the character started in a 12, this 12 issue series that we're talking about today and also has appeared as a member of the superhero team, the champions, um, a little bit more trivia. I think the larger audiences will become more familiar with Ironheart when the character is scheduled to appear in the upcoming Black Panther sequel, and then also a Disney Plus series um, featuring the character has been announced. And Dominique Thorne is uh, the actress who's been cast to play Riri Williams. And the other trivia that I wanted to note, Evel Ewing, the author of this series, um, she has a doctorate from uh, Harvard, but she is an assistant professor at the University of Chicago, Crown Family School of Social Work Policy and Practice. She's written poetry collections, co-authored a play, written a novel for young readers titled My and the Robot, and written for The New Yorker, The Atlantic, The New York Times, many other outlets. Besides Ironheart, um, she has written comic books of uh, The Champions and also Marvel Team-Up for Marvel Comics. And on her website, <laughs> she has like a scrolling side list of her awards and honors. <laughs> 
hours, it is intimidating and lengthy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This uh, this woman is impressive. (laughs) This is the main takeaway after looking at evaluing a little bit more because I read the series um, and I was not familiar with evaluing um, as a comic book writer. And so I like I, I was looking I'm like, oh, she hasn't written a lot, which impressed me because often new comic book writers take a little while to acclimate to the medium, oh, yeah. uh, especially when they're coming from writing novels um, mm-hmm. or, or in other media, uh, just because there's so many different stylistic um, aspects to to the medium itself that can be hard to translate. But uh, everything just seemed very assured and deliberate uh, in, in all the writing that was here. And so then I went and looked her up and it just got more and more impressive as I went <laughs> and found out more about her. <laughs> Um, and I, I imagine it's the same for you, but like, well, I know it is because you said it already. Like, there's some people that like once I read one thing by them that I love, it's like, okay, I need to like follow everything that they do. And Evel Ewing's now in that list for me, where it's like, okay, I've got to go read her Champions and Marvel Team Up and take a look at this, uh, you know, novel for young readers for my kids. <laughs> and I mean, I would recommend all of it because I'm pretty sure I've read, I think, most of her published like manuscripts um, and the comics, and I I love everything. I think. You know, and I think you're right that it, it does take a minute for folks who um, are new to comics to acclimate. But I think because she's a poet, I think there's something specifically about um, being able to write in that short, concise form that lends itself really well to comics writing in a way that like coming from nonfiction um, or even novel writing doesn't doesn't map on the same way. Mm hmm. Yeah, it, it's um for comic book fans, it's almost a joke about like the novelist that, that their first comic book is going to be almost unreadable because there'll be so much text on every <laughs> in, in, in every word balloon. Uh, like because real comic book writing involves a very sparse, almost Hemingway-esque like clipped dialogue has to be uh, in the word balloons because you need the art to be uh, the star of the page. And, you know, the words are the accent pieces uh, as you move along. And it's it definitely was successfully employed by Evel Ewing in this one. Um, all right. Well, before we move on to the summary of these 12 issues, listeners, we want to thank you for downloading this episode. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonists and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as episodes of the podcast. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss on the show. All right, on to the summary of this. And I kind of abbreviated a few of the issues. I'm not going to go beat by beat through the action, um, but I just want to get an overview of the story itself, uh, and then we'll dig into the character a bit more. So Riri's uh, brief origin from that uh, Bendis run of Iron Man is kind of like encapsulated at the beginning of the fir- uh, of the issue. It says Riri Williams was a young girl who dreamed of becoming an astronaut until her best friend and stepfather were killed in a drive-by shooting. Determined to find a way to protect her hometown of Chicago, Riri reverse engineered Tony Stark's Iron Man design to create her own armor. Now she soars the skies as Ironheart. And as the first issue begins, Riri Williams is a student at MIT with a special lab provided for her by the Dean, but she like commutes to Chicago <laughs> to, to go be a hero there. She's flying between uh, Chicago and MIT. The Dean brings a group of diplomats and leaders who are in town to her lab to show off her work. It's kind of like PR for the school. Uh, later, those diplomats are taken hostage, but Riri uh, sciences her way into defeating the bad guy. Uh, the bad guy is a, a science-based villain uh, that is doing things with sound waves, and she's able to quickly assess what needs to be done uh, to defeat him. Uh, but this bad guy had a logo associated with a group called the Ten Rings, and she's not familiar with this group, but it's it's something that's definitely going to catch uh, in her memory. 
Uh, she gets a call from an old friend back home, Xavier. Though at first she just wants to keep working in her lab, they end up talking for hours while she is still working in her lab. Riri also completes an AI assistant she names Natalie, modeled on her best friend who was killed in that drive-by shooting. A girl who was kind to Riri when she was having a hard time at school goes missing back in Chicago. Uh, and so since her friend is missing, Riri returns home to look into this disappearance. She learns that her friend was interning for a politician. She also discovers that there's a ring of child thieves that seems to be operating in Chicago. Riri and Xavier search for a pattern and they realize the kids are stealing laptops and phones for the information that is on them. They track uh, uh, one of the kids down and they find a uh, eventually a magic antagonist named Midnight's Fire who proves very difficult for Ironheart's defeat. Uh, this villain also has ties to the Ten Rings. The politician Riri's friend was working for is behind the Ring of Child Thieves, but Midnight's Fire is above him within this organization. Ironheart is able to eventually free the children from their kind of servitude. At first, authorities believe Ironheart might be the villain, but she has video in her suit that recorded her fight with both the politician and Midnight's Fire that exonerates her. Midnight's Fire escapes. The politician's brought down when information linking him to the child theft ring is leaked to news outlets. Um, Xavier, her friend, uses his mom's car to drive the kids home. Uh, as these kids, in Riri's mind, are innocent. They've been manipulated and taken advantage of. Uh, and Riri leaves MIT and sets up her own lab in Chicago. Many wealthy people whose data and electronics she had recovered when breaking up the theft ring thankfully donated to her cause. Uh, she lets the children who have been taken advantage of come visit her lab when they need a safe place to be. She also goes with her mom to a support group where she opens up about the trauma of losing her stepfather and best friend. Uh, next, there's like uh, that's kind of like the first five issue arc uh, there. And then there's a few uh, issues of team ups. One with Miles Morales, Spider-Man in a time loop adventure similar to Groundhog Day. One with uh, a version of the Wasp in a zombie adventure where Xavier knows how to battle zombies. Like this is her, her friend's moment to shine. <laughs> like he's I, I've been a play, I, he's been preparing for the zombie apocalypse, and so he knows what to do. Uh, and then a team up with Doctor Strange who points Riri to Wakanda and the Ten Rings' ultimate goal of accessing a magical portal. There, Riri goes to Wakanda where she meets Shuri. Uh, who is occasionally Black Panther, but in, in the movie, if you're more familiar with Black Panther from there, that's uh, Black Panther's little sister, who's a scientist. Riri and Shuri are very much alike, which makes them clash initially before a grudging respect uh, grows between them. While debating their next move, they realize someone is watching them. It is a hero named Silhouette, which, as a reader of comic books from the 90s, Silhouette showing up was just a delight because <laughs> she appeared in uh, a series called New Warriors in the in the 90s that I was reading at the time. And I have not seen much of Silhouette in Marvel Comics uh, since that time. And when she showed up, I was like, oh, Silhouette's back. Uh, Silhouette reveals that her brother is Midnight's Fire. Ironheart, Shuri, Silhouette, and also uh, the Wakanda warrior Okoye travel to confront the Ten Rings at the uh, Mystical Portal. There... Ironheart learns that her biological father, who she had believed died when her mom was still pregnant with her, is actually alive and is a member of the Ten Rings. In the battle, she has a magical vision because of magical hand waviness, where she sees that her father was trying to earn extra money to support Riri and her mother when he volunteered to go sell his plasma, but instead it was a, an experiment and he was taken and experimented on. Uh, his wife, uh, Riri's mom, was told that he had died by being in the wrong place at the wrong time uh, during a robbery attempt. Uh, he seems to lose some of his memories as his powers are unleashed during these experiments and he ends up joining the Ten Rings in the end. Riri realizes that he's both victim and villain at the same time. Uh, Ironheart and her friends fend off the Ten Rings though, uh, though her father's escapes and then Riri returns to Chicago and bonds with her friends which is actually a very important step because she is a mega loner, loner <laughs> initially. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she is struggling uh, with social connections and so this is like the uh, a nice capstone kind of showing that like, some of her progression is that she's not in her lab doing her science thing and half paying attention to friends. She actually 
goes out with her friends to the park and just hangs out mm-hmm. at the end of the series. The end. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a tight 12 issues and so much information was crammed in there about Riri. And um, in, in summarizing the plot, I think we lose a lot of character, uh, you know, revelations because it's, it's like, okay, what happens in the story? So Raven, is there anything in particular about Riri as a character that stands out for you that maybe I wasn't able to reveal in the plot synopsis? Um, I think the most important thing to me um, is something that you started to get at at the end when you talk about uh, Ruby returning to Chicago to hang out with her friends. Um, I think it is important to note that that is like a major difference that we see um, with Ewing's Ruby Williams Ironheart is that she does take the necessary steps to form relationships with people we see her kind of digging into her relationship with her mom, letting Xavier in, being friends with Deja, the Wasp. Um, but I also think that there's something to be said about, um, you know, how you memorialize friendship and how she's grieving mm-hmm. and thinking about the loss of Natalie um, and how that ends up manifesting as like an artificial intelligence, right? Like she has decided that, you know, whether whether it's conscious or not, she's decided to memorialize her friend um, in this digital way that I think is I think is so interesting. Um, and it to me, it's like the 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 merging of both the technological, the very very um, human, and in some ways something that like is is very ephemeral. Like you can't touch it as well. Um, and so I, I love that we get to see that, um, aspect of her. She gets to be something other than just a super genius. And it's something that she says, you know, towards the end of the, the 12 issue arc, you know, um, a lot of people, when they would describe her, they might say super genius followed like very shortly by a list of tragedy. And I think we get to see, um, so much of who she is in relationship to these other people, like who she is in community, um, who she is with her friends, who she is on teams. Um, and I think that's something that I love to see about her and to see the growth that she gets to experience over these 12 issues. Yeah. Um, sometimes it is very explicit. Like her conversation with Miles Morales is like, really like um, we're, always kind of stand off with each other are we friends yes we're actually friends okay <laughs> like it is uh there's no subtext it's just text but when you compare like that end scene of her hanging out at the park uh with with xavier and um oh, what is the name of her other friend i'm sorry deja um deja mm-hmm. uh xavier deja and and riri hanging out you contrast that with what we had at the opening which was some other students from mit trying to get riri out of her lab to come see the sun <laughs> and hang out with them while they went and got food and she can't like separate herself from her lab and even when she's opening up to xavier in that long phone conversation i love the writing of that phone conversation she is working non-stop in her lab like she's not actually giving him full attention mm-hmm. uh and this end scene is you know th- this kind of subtler version of that very uh, explicit conversation with miles morales that okay i have friends <laughs> mm-hmm. and my life is not just my lab and my identity is not just super genius engineer child prodigy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that transformation is, it feels very organic. Uh, it, it doesn't feel forced. I, I think it's, it's shown in ways that, you know, it's, it's not going to be missed by the reader, but it also doesn't feel forced where the writer's like, okay, I've got point a and I'm forcing my character into point C down here uh, in these 12 issues. 
Um, I like what you were digging into with the AI of Natalie. And this is something I kind of had, uh, like had stuck with me. Um, I, I haven't read the Brian Bendis, uh, version. Is this, uh, version of Iron Heart supposed to be a, a few years older from when the tragedy happened or like how close are we to the tragedy? Do you know? I know, I, I know timeline in Marvel comics is always tricky. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> It's almost no, impossible to really nail down. Yeah. I can't actually tell how much older she is because in some time, like sometimes it feels like she's like an old, like a, like a young teen, but then it seems like in this timeline, she's much, much younger. Like when, like mm-hmm. I can't, yeah, I can't nail down exactly when it seems like, what was, what was the original well, it seems like Xavier is still in high school uh, yeah. because she mentions in the Groundhog Day episode that Xavier is talking about his school having uh, a school dance coming up. But Riri and Xavier are the same age. She just mm-hmm. uh, because of, you know, her child genius, <laughs> um, uh, you know, prodigy nature. She had graduated from high school and gone on to college younger. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm guessing she must be like 16, 17, right? Oh, you were just asking. How- yeah, because she's 16. Xavier's yeah, she's just 16. <laughs> yeah. You're right. But but the way she's drawn is kind of ambiguous. Like, is this a teenager or a young adult? <laughs> you can't quite. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not 100% sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so so that, I'm guessing this tragedy of her stepfather and her, her friend dying, that's fairly recent then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this idea of, I guess, memorializing her friend as as this AI, I think it's it's like a real ethical quandary that we're going to be facing more and more. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I saw very recently that... Uh, uh, I think it was Apple was announcing that they are going to be able to model the Alexa voice on anyone's voice soon. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm. <laughs> we're yeah. entering some strange areas, yeah. particularly for people who may be processing grief and can have their Alexa sound like, you know, someone they loved that has passed on or anything like that. Like it, it just becomes uh, like, like this is a sci-fi version of this moral quandary in this comic book, but it's going to be a real world version of this kind of moral quandary of what it's like to uh, process grief or memorialize friends or uh, keep people virtually present with within ourselves uh you know within our lives uh and this ai of natalie it's not just a disembodied voice like um you know jarvis for tony stark in the iron man films it is a holograph of her friend that is walking around her lab with her and and talking to her um and i don't i I don't quite know what i feel about it (laughs) you know like is is this a healthy thing for her to be doing Uh, at some point is she going to need to uh let this AI Natalie move on is this a and I mean because it's comic books is like is this AI Natalie gonna become a character <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that uh you know uh, of herself I could definitely see that that path being explored by the writers but it's just interesting that it's, it's something that's present in this but it's not fully explored I don't think yeah I think um I don't I don't quite know what I think about the <laughs> the AI Natalie either but it's something that I think about all the time because I just I'm very interested, um, and this is not just like a Riri Williams specific thing. I think um, there is, um, I think it's like Nick Stone writes a like middle grade uh, Shuri book, and Shuri also has like um, like a like an AI that's kind of supposed to be sort of like a friend. And I I think the thing that I'm I'm stuck on is that we have. Well, I think it's less in this case. Riri does actually have flesh and blood friends, but I do wonder about the like, you know, Riri is a loner. And then the first one of the first people that she really is able to like open up to again is this AI, like this, this, this AI. This I, AI. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it, it really, 
like on the one hand, I'm like, this is a very interesting manifestation of her grief, but that one that makes a lot of sense for her and like who she is as a person. I think it's, I think it's a good like personality move, but I also am just like, Mm -hmm. I'm with you. Like, I think, you know, it's, I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's healthy, but I also, but like, it doesn't feel healthy, but it also feels like a really strong tribute. Like it, like it feels like the most Mm -hmm. Riri tribute to her friend (laughs) like anyone could ever do and in some so in some ways it feels really sweet right like it feels it feels very sweet because that is the most that she is able and capable of doing with her emotions at that moment right like at the moment in which we get Natalie right like she's not yet gone to therapy she's not yet really talked to her mom in any meaningful way about about Natalie like this is the best she can do and it's her way of saying like I loved you. You were like a really important person in my life. Um, but yeah, like <laughs> I do, I do feel ways about her having to kind of like make this friend. And I actually think that this is something that, you know, Eve Ewing is very interested, you know, across the board. Cause this is also sort of an issue in Maya and the robot. Um, you know, Maya is lonely um, because her friends go off to another class without her. So she builds a robot you know, <laughs> like, I think, you know, this is just, this is just something that I, I think, you know, e-viewing as a writer is like super interested by, um, particularly the ethical concerns mm-hmm. of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's something where like this idea, it's something we're seeing more and more explored in media of like, it, it felt so fantastical in the 1960s when Star Trek had like the computers you could just speak to, but the, you know, that's everyday life now. Uh, and you know, we're, we're entering these stages where it's like, okay, what, what does this all actually mean <laughs> for right. example, like how we process this trauma or, mm-hmm. or loss and mourning uh, that, that Riri is going through. Um, is this a healthy process? And because this is, you know, only 12 issues. Uh, I think we, in that theme, it was more set up than paid off. Um, a lot of other themes were, were, I think, more fully paid off. But I think also that theme is so complex. It's okay to just kind of set it up and say, reader, you should have some questions about this. <laughs> and and just leave that as something to, to sit with the reader too. Um, in the notes on our uh, Google Doc, you mentioned like the potential and limitations of having a black girl science super genius, which mm-hmm. is something we see with the character of Shuri, where mm-hmm. like when she and Shuri are in the room together, it's almost like um, Fraser Crane and Niles Crane, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, these are the same character. And there can be a lot of fun <laughs> dynamics when the same characters are actually interacting together. <laughs> um, and, and I think e-viewing really did nail the idea of... Um, two girls that are supremely confident and also pretty sure they're the smartest ones in the room (laughs) when they're in the room together you can get some fun uh dynamic it's not just instant best friends Mm -hmm. um but what what what, um do you think of that that question that you you kind of had noted in there like the potential and limitations of black girl science super geniuses yeah um so the reason that i always think about this is because i actually got a chance to like do an interview with with e-viewing um last year which in which she really made me think about the fact that right now, um, a lot of the Black girls, especially in Marvel, that we're getting um, in the superhero realm, 
are the science geniuses and like why is why is that the primary mode can we exist in other ways like why is that Mm -hmm. you know like what what about us necessitates that like needing to go the extra mile to be um like recognized as like anything really you know it's it's not just that you know they can be strong and they can have a good heart it's that they literally have to be super geniuses the number one smartest person in the entire world like I always think about not just Riri not just Shuri but also Lunella Lafayette Moon Girl who like literally is the smartest person you know in the entire in the entire world and she figures she's the one that figures it out like you know I I think um I think it on the one hand of course is the question of representation where you've got these black girls that are smart and that are capable um, of literally doing anything but then I think the downfall is that you know when you get when you get into characters like that you have to start asking questions about like um, well if this is true why are we also depicting them as often very alone where are their friends you know what like I think it becomes isolating um, I think that's the biggest thing um, that I worry about with the black girls that become the super geniuses is that because they, you know, have to be so exemplary, they don't have peers, they don't have counterparts, they often have older people that look out for them. So for Riri, for a long time, it was Tony Stark, for Lunella, you know, it's, you know, the thing and, um, you know, sometimes Human Torch, they have other people that kind of like look out for them, but they don't necessarily have like the peer to peer connections and they lose that. Um, so on the one hand, I think it's, I think it's really beautiful to like show the possibility of what, you know, what black girls can do, but I worry about the super genius aspect of it. They lose like their humanity, like they lose their ability to just Mm -hmm. like be black girls, to just be girls, to just be and exist in the world. Um, you know, and Riri is someone I think about, you know, all the time. She, and I think there's like a moment where she even says, you know, I'm this, you know, I'm so smart, but like, no one, no one gets it, you know, like no one, no one's getting me where I am. Um, And I, you know, I know they're fictional, but it's, it's still just, (laughs) it's one of those moments where, you know, you really want to be big sister or you really want to be friend to them. Um, and to let them know that they're they're not alone. A lot of Black girls probably see themselves in these stories in, in Riri. Um, but I don't know if that makes them any less alone. And I don't know if that's the all of the message we want to send to them. Yeah, and I, I think if, if that's an idea that from your interview with um, Eve Ewing that you had picked up as like something that she wanted to explore, I think that makes that ending so deliberate and powerful, right? <laughs> the idea of uh, the human connections that she's made and not, um, I, I was kind of expecting uh, Natalie, the the hologram to be there at the park, but I think it's a very deliberate choice that Natalie is not there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that it is just Riri and, uh, you know, the people she's made human connections with mm-hmm. um, that, that are hanging out together at the park um, there at the end as kind of a, uh, you know, uh, a step forward and away from that loneliness right. uh, that you you definitely feel permeating the character in issue one. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, so many of the interactions she has, she doesn't it doesn't feel like a peer to peer interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it like when the dean comes it it definitely feels a bit like uh i'm showing you off mm-hmm. <laughs> um to try and get donors uh to, to give us more money uh to, to mit but there there's um one well, and i guess that that is one of the main reasons that she ends up uh moving her home base back to chicago and like the conversation with her mom where the mom says like really like who kind of like who owns your stuff right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. If, if everything's the mit's lab is it mit's mm-hmm. um or or is it yours and so she finds a way to to make it truly hers um and so there's progression in that way but then there's that scene with the friends and uh, like so much of the the first issue is about riri being amazing but lonely Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think like she's so competent in the science area and in the superheroing uh, that, that she's doing in the engineering. Uh, but she is, it, it almost is like a, a true inability to connect on a human mm-hmm. level to the, the people that um, sometimes are, she's either interacting with or trying to reach out with her and she's kind of shutting them down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think too, you know, when I think about um, that moment with the Dean that, that sticks with me so much because I think um, it really gets to the core of this question of like the black girls, like having to be exemplary um, in a lot of ways. And it's another moment where, you know, Riri is really fighting with, you know, I am this super genius and they see it and they recognize it and only want to laud it when it benefits them. Right. So like there's this hyper visibility of, of the black, the like super genius black girl um, in the lab when it benefits the Dean. Um, but like, as soon as everyone's backs are turned, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you know, all of a sudden, you know, she, she can be berated because, you know, something goes haywire in the lab. But again, you know, she's like, that's not really my fault because y'all weren't supposed to pop up. Um, <laughs> I didn't know anyone, yeah. you know, you weren't supposed to be here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, you know, I, I could have ensured that that didn't happen if I had had proper notice, but you know, you just kind of come in here and, and treat it like a zoo. Um, and I think that that wording is so deliberate, right? Like, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, when she invokes that imagery of a zoo, I always think of, you know, Sarah Bartman and like the black women on display, um, you know, and being, being inspected uh, for, you know, for, for, for whatever type of specialness, um, they, they think that she has. Um, and so I, I think it is really interesting that she gets to, um, go and start her own lab and do her own thing. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's always, my question is always sort of like, but at what cost, you know, like, what does she have to go through Mm -hmm. in order to get through, get to that point? Um, yeah, so it's always very, it's all like, I find Riri really interesting because I, I, I think that um, just sort of like the way that the character um, is set up, you know, I, I think e-viewing what she does over the 12 issues is she does a lot of undoing, right? Like she has a character that she's working with and she's kind of trying to like literally do the Riri Williams, Williams thing and reverse engineer the character, right? And like kind of humanize her a little bit and tell tell us how she got to be this way and how she got to be here um so yeah yeah I th- and i think there's a lot of um humanity that she gives riri williams where she lets the audience not always be on riri williams side 
Yeah. Um, I'm thinking specifically <laughs> there's a moment where she is trying to find her friend and she puts a tracking thing on her on her friend so that she can follow her friend to the to the base and everything. And Xavier's like, uh, that feels a little <laughs> unnecessary and evil actually to like secretly be spying and she's like well, what's what i gotta do <laughs> to, to solve this problem uh and, and like for her it's like well you know that there's no problem and they I, I think the audience is supposed to be taking xavier's side uh in this and the way it gets presented uh and mm-hmm. not really side and i think that's a a really um great choice by a writer to not make our protagonists always be right um mm-hmm. and i i think uh, the the subtler uh, or, or or what another version of that is what we've talked about with with like this AI of Natalie like we're kind of like uh, is that really the right thing to do <laughs> is mm-hmm. is that a morally responsible thing to do uh, to memorialize your friend yes I completely understand where you're coming from and the process that you're going through but is you know resurrecting a version of your friend as your AI assistant <laughs> is that you know is is that where what we should be doing with technology uh, at this point. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I like that in, as you said, kind of like deconstructing or, or, or figuring out what makes Riri tick. It's not always the exact right choice is what what's driving her. And I think, you know, it not being right is actually very important because it, it's again, it's another move that um, reinstates her agency because she is only like a teenager. She's only a kid. Right. Um, and she doesn't have to have all the answers. She doesn't have to be right all the time. Um, and it gives her permission to sort of make those kind of questionable decisions um, in a way that I think, you know, a lot of times we sort of expect, um, you know, I think, I think the the thing I'm thinking about is adultification, where we sort of um, mm-hmm. age black girls up, and we sort of um, expect more maturity and um, all these things out of black girls. And I think something that you mentioned earlier you know, we don't actually know. We it, It's not clear by looking at Riri how old she is because of, you know, how she's drawn. Um, you know, th- these are these are all sort of questions that sort of um, make it impossible for Black girls to just exist in the world. Um, and I think mm-hmm. one of the things I love about Eve Ewing's Riri is that, you know, is these these moments where she is on the on the presumably the wrong side where she is making mistakes, where she is sort of, you know, getting into little tiffs with her friends Um, because it just, it allows her to be imperfect. Um, It allows us to see it's a, it's a vulnerability that I, that I don't think she's always allowed um, in, in different stories. And so that's something I think that's really, really something that I, I would drive home about this particular rendition of her. Yeah, and I, I think it's the the nature of um, you know an ensemble piece like like Champions, you know a writer has to be serving you know five to eight characters every issue uh, and trying to give them all beats. But being able to really delve into the interior life of your protagonist uh, in in a solo series, I think I think that's a, a major strength. And I, there's times where the you know the exact right story is going to be told in the ensemble format and other times where it's like oh this needs to be a solo story mm-hmm. <laughs> um over here and i i you know i haven't read e-viewing's run on on champions um but she clearly has a handle on ironheart and uh you know making her the true protagonist uh you know uh, of the series in uh, you know as compared to a member of a team in mm-hmm. in a larger ensemble 
Um, we haven't really talked a lot about um, Riri's mother. I, I mean, I, I would guess if we counted the number of panels that Riri's mother's on in these 12 issues, it's a couple dozen, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, like, she's not a super prominent part of the narrative that we're being told, but she also feels so essential and mm-hmm. hugely important important to who Riri is. Um, and so uh, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, Riri's mom? Yeah, I love Riri's mom because she's just such a quintessential black mom where she's, I, you know, I think, you know, I love her because she's like, my child is a super genius and that's cool, but I'm very concerned about whether she ate, if she went to sleep, um, you know, if she's got a handle on being able to do things like, you know, go see people, you know, like she's just, she's like, is she a functional human? Like, is she, is she able to, to, you know, she's very concerned about these things. She does the sort of like underhanded, well, not even underhanded, but just sort of like the sneaky, um, she's the one that prompts, uh, the call from Xavier at the beginning, you know, their moms talk and, you know, then Xavier calls because his mom talked to her mom. And, you know, I think she's, we get this we get this mom who is so soft with her daughter because life has been so hard with her um Mm -hmm. and and it's amazing to me because life has also been really hard to Riri's mom and she still finds the strength to be so soft with her daughter while also being you know very firm you know about like you know being honest with her about you know, sometimes you're making a not so great decision. I would, cons- you know, I'm, we're not doing all of this for you to go to MIT for you to be here all the time. And, you know, she's very honest with her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's, she's super honest, but not in a way that ever feels like she's discounting who her daughter is. It feels like this is a, this is a mother who really, really understands her kid. Um, and who loves her well and i i won't even say like understands the things that she's doing <laughs> cuz i don't think her mom like really has a firm grasp on mm-hmm. all of the ironheart stuff but i but it, it is very clear to me <laughs> that her mom knows who riri is at her core and i think that's that's really different mm-hmm. to me right like it makes I may not understand all the individual choices that you're making, but I under but I understand you and therefore I trust, you know, I trust that you're going to do the right thing eventually once you've given, you've gotten your space to do it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't say enough about her mom. I just, you know, she's just so, she's so sweet and tough at the same time. And, you know, I, someone who truly is just making the very best out of, you know, potentially a really rough situation, um, with everything that their family has gone through. Yes. Um, and the, uh, the other thing that I think is worth, you know, definitely worth noting, um, this isn't a case of, uh, Riri Williams maintaining a secret identity. I right. can't remember if I said that, uh, in, in discussing her, but everyone knows mm-hmm. Riri Williams is Ironheart. It's not just like me and my mom know, but it's secret to the public. It's like, no, the, the whole public, everyone at MIT, like everyone knows. <laughs> uh, Xavier's completely in on this. This isn't running around in the classic uh, superhero style of, um, you know, I, I living two lives, uh, you know, s- simultaneously. Right. Um, and I think that allows for 
a very different relationship mm-hmm. with with her mother because uh, th- there is this openness and honesty that like um you know in classic spider-man stories peter parker doesn't have with right. aunt may <laughs> right mm-hmm. like he's he's constantly lying to her uh and we're given narrative motivations for those lies uh and we we still feel uh you know sympathetic to, to spider-man and he expresses his guilt and you know all these things but in this case it's it's just full support uh and openness uh but still some of that teenage daughter mother dynamic of like i need my space mom (laughs) i'm over here now mom (laughs) uh uh, because it i mean uh, having a teenage daughter is just uh, you know it is a different experience than having a younger daughter right Mm -hmm. uh and i I think that's true you know for for any teenager but um i can't i have a 13 year old daughter and i will just say like my relationship with my daughter three years ago is very different than my relationship right now. <laughs> like she's through this, she's in this period of transition uh, and transformation. She's discovering who she is. And sometimes she's pushing away to try and go form her own identity. Sometimes she comes back and like wants the security and the firmness, mm-hmm. I think of, of the parental relationship that she has with, you know, me and my wife that, that should be this steady rock, but also she's trying to explore what it's like to go stand somewhere else, mm-hmm. you know, away from that, that steady rock. But sometimes she seems to want to come back and, and latch onto, and we love those moments. But then other times it's like, I want to go hang out with my friends for the entire day. It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and it's just good writing, uh, you know, that, that you find in e viewing, like capturing these relationships. And like I said, the mom is not super prominent uh in every issue of this but she feels like a presence in mm-hmm. in riri williams life and to find that balance of um giving the the reader enough to understand this relationship so fully uh but not have to really go touch touch back on it constantly is great and um my maybe favorite moment of the entire series was uh at the end of the first five issue arc when natalie the ai says it's 5 30 you promised your mom and riri is doing her science thing and kind of says i know i know and then the next scene is at the support group and riri kind of like opening up for the first time like i had genuine emotional reaction mm-hmm. to this character that i was really reading the adventures of for the first time like a half hour before like i was i was just cruising through these issues and five issues in i was hit with this emotional gut punch mm-hmm. um and not just because Riri was getting some like legitimate help that she needs to process the trauma that she has been through, but also because of what it meant for her and her mother mm-hmm. <laughs> that she was doing this thing her mom asked asked her to do mm-hmm. uh, and was there with her mom. Like that mattered so much that she, she was sitting next to her mom mm-hmm. uh, in that moment. And it was so beautifully done. And um, like I said, like real emotional hit for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just kind of like surprising me because it felt like we were in like the happy wrap up of her successfully uh, concluding this, uh, this first story arc. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of Eve Ewing's like talents as a writer to me is that she seems to have like, like a real talent for getting to the core of every single character that she writes, like that, that, that pops up in the story. Like I, like I don't need to see everyone a bunch of times to know who they are, what their place in the world is and what their relationship to the world is. Like it's very, I don't get that often, right? Like I don't always get, like, I feel like I know what this person's purpose is to them, not necessarily their purpose to the story, but the purpose of who the character is right to themselves, Uh, which is something that I, I find really striking about her work and something that I, 
I find inspiring as someone who wants to write, you know, or who does write. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just something that I find that she's very, very gifted at. Yeah, um, I, I think you had some notes uh, on here. Like each character, it's it, there's something very specific about that character's relationship with Riri and what they represent. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've already talked about Natalie, the uh, AI, as like um, both a reminder of her trauma, but also a way that she's trying to process it. But but for the reader, I think it is a constant reminder of some of the dark things that Riri has gone through um and her mom is i I, you know i I think your note here is just says unconditional love (laughs) and (laughs) reminds riri of her humanity because sometimes she can get this very cold hard exterior and just be in like science mode Mm -hmm. just science 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 and that that touchstone is there and i think uh shuri is another interesting Mm -hmm. character that is there as like uh almost a doppelganger Mm -hmm. of of riri uh, where she can like see herself and some of the frustration she has with shuri is like the the things that annoy other people about Riri. <laughs> like she's actually seeing like, oh, okay, I, I kind of get it. Yeah. <laughs> and they're also, you know, they're also, they are very similar, but they're also like super different, which I think, mm-hmm. I think the thing that always strikes me about that exchange is that, you know, like, you know, Shuri is a, is a princess. Like she's like an princess, actual yeah. princess. And, oh, and super wealth, like hyper wealth. <laughs> right. And Riri is just like, that, like that amount of, you know, that amount of like, you know, class difference is just, is, is like unbelievable to her. Like she, you know, and I, I just think I'm looking at the two of them. And it's also just like a reminder that like blackness is not a monolith, right? Like it's a very lovely Mm -hmm. reminder that like these two black girls who do seem very similar, have very different upbringings and have very different views on the world based on, um, you know, who they are and what they've been through in their lives. And yes, you know, like, yes, like at the core, yeah, they like have a lot in common. I think, you know, I think that moment where Shuri is like, so like, you don't say hello where you're from. Like you don't, you just like barge in and you start the conversation and it really has nothing to do with Riri's upbringing. It's just who she is as a person. She's just abrasive. Um, and, and Shuri is just like, I need to, but do- also like the moment has urgency. She's like, mm-hmm. uh, there's a magic portal here that we need to get to now. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not going to take time with the pleasantries. Right. But like in some ways, you know, I think the equivalent of like Shuri's response to that is sort of like a Southern bell or a Southern debutante where like, we have to go through the social graces or the social cues before, you know, like, like that's what I, you know, that's kind of yeah. how I interpret that um, in some ways as well. Um, so I, I love, I love their exchange. I also really love, um, you know, I, I bring in moon girl a lot because I, I think she speaks so well. She's like the third, the third wheel of, on that, on that little tricycle. Um, but there is an issue, um, in another whole nother run where, uh, Riri meets moon girl and a similar thing happens (laughs) where they're like, okay, two really smart girls. And eventually Riri is like, um, the difference there is the age, right? And, you know, Linella's yeah. like nine, I think. Um, and so Riri has to be like, yeah, I wouldn't have wanted people to treat me the way that I'm treating you right now, just because I was nine, you know, like it's, so it's, it's a nice, yeah. it's like a nice mirror reckoning moment, but like also just like an awareness of the differences of the situation that like are making it even more like intense i think mm-hmm. uh and another character i think works really well as like this 
um, kind of like representation of some aspect of Riri is Xavier like reminds the reader that she is just a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that here's the, the social group that she really belongs with is like this boy who's mentioning high school dances. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, you know, that is um, part of, of her identity. And so um, as we see her interactions with these different characters, we're highlighting these different facets of who Riri is. Um, and they're all valid and, you know, and part of her. Uh, but, but we're able to, in the, in in those interactions, like remind ourselves of this aspect of who she is, and I think like her interaction with like uh, Tony Stark or Doctor Strange, like also reminds you of like the superhero, uh, mm-hmm. you know, part of this. Mm-hmm. And so many father figures in this. I also want to <laughs> throw out there, like you, you. I, I I don't know why. I I was still a little surprised that uh you know the reveal that her biological father was in uh the group. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe there was had been enough of a feint that Midnight Fire was a potential kind of uh father figure in her life that I thought that was going to be the father figure villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, what once it was like her actual biological father was still alive secretly and was a member of the villains. I was like, okay, well that was set up. <laughs> by the theme of fathers throughout mm-hmm. this whole story <laughs> mm-hmm. um and you know that's just another piece you know one where you find that uh you know that theme being woven into so many of the interactions and so many of the conversations and so many of the plot beats that we get that it ends up being natural that we have this plot twist at the end but it's also a surprise because that wasn't the plot twist we were we were quite <laughs> expecting yeah yeah uh, there so uh you know that, that i and those are the best kinds of plot twists where in retrospect, it's inevitable, but in the moment, it surprises you. Mm-hmm. And as a writer, I don't know how you set that all up. <laughs> it's very tricky. <laughs> so well done, Eve. <laughs> you hang on that one. Yes. Um, well, uh, do, is there anything else that you want to make sure we we touch on with Riri Williams before we wrap up uh, this discussion? Um, you know, I, I think the only thing that I probably want to say, um, is that I know I've talked about Eve as a writer a lot, but I really, really love the art, uh, throughout, um, throughout mm-hmm. these comics. I well, think, thank you. yeah, I think the visual Easter eggs are so amazing. Like I love the, I think one of my favorite scenes, um, or like the sequence of panels are when, you know, she's on the phone with Xavier or like she, I think leading up to that, where she's trying to find her phone and she's just like rummaging around her desk. I think like, if you look at all the stuff on her desk, like so many things that like show you like who Riri is appear in that like one page sequence of panels. Um, It's so, it's so artfully done. I think, you know, there's so many really beautiful like covers and things like that. Like, especially once we get to the end, um, you know, of this arc and we start to see um, Riri Shuri silhouette and Okoye as like a sort of um, uh, like little misfit team that just sort of like kind of happened together. There's so many beautiful, Mm -hmm spreads of like the four of them together and I like want all of them as posters in my house like they're just so beautiful so yeah the only thing that I really wanted to say you know like we've talked a lot about the writing and things like that but I think you know of course that doesn't happen without you know a really strong artist team um and that's really what you're what you're coming for right like you that that draws you in Mm -hmm. for a lot of it um, so I definitely want to give a shout out to um, to Vecchio for and you know the art team for the beautiful the beautiful art that we got for for these books. I do like the the costume design for Ironheart is mm-hmm. really good. Where it's 
uh, still evocative of Iron Man, which is, you know, where the character first appeared and what she was reverse engineering, but is, you know, completely her own. And, um, you know, we mentioned earlier, like, it's a little ambiguous. Like when we talk about the age of the character, I just want to say that is a standard problem with superhero comic books. Right. <laughs> like that is a comic book art situation that you're never quite sure what age you're looking at with, with characters. That is not a knock on these particular artists. Right. Um, there's always been an ambiguity uh, when, when it comes to what age is being presented, unless they're drawing children, which sometimes can be very awkward. Like mm-hmm. whenever John Byrne draws children in old uh, X-Men comics, I read them like, you don't know how to draw a child, John Byrne. And the, when they do the flashbacks, these are well-drawn children <laughs> for, for like, when Riri is a kid. <laughs> so yeah, I, I do want to highlight the art too. Um, very well done. Good. Um, you know, very good, just visual storytelling mm-hmm. uh, that that's happening throughout. Like you mentioned kind of almost like the montage mm-hmm. uh, effect that we get on some, uh, the pacing where we get the double uh, page splashes at times. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's all really good. And I think it's also interesting. Um, sometimes, when you have something like uh, the, the kind of the ragtag team at the end, uh, in this case, it's all black women. Um, there are at times critiques of like, well, that feels a little forced. Like, you know, the moment in Avengers Endgame when mm-hmm. you have all the women heroes, some people said like, oh, that's really forced. <laughs> this didn't feel forced, no. um, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I, like, I also remember a, uh, a few, uh, well, I guess it's probably at least a decade ago, but there was an X-Men comic that had an all women team, but they never, like, it wasn't actually like, made a huge deal about and everyone kind of said you know what like the x-men is a franchise that you can have an all women team and it, it doesn't feel forced at all right um and at this point i think you know riri williams is being established as protagonists but shuri and okoye are well enough established in silhouette they're pulling back a character that's you know a, a couple decades old uh you know at this point that it doesn't feel forced to mm-hmm. have this and um there are definitely eras in comic book history where it would have felt super forced oh, yeah. uh, to do that. And it's, it's just great that we're at a point where you can have that grouping and it just feels natural that these are the ones that were in the room going to solve the problem Yep. in this situation. Um, all right. Uh, so listeners, if you, if you are looking for a great series, this Ironheart series is 12 issues. There's collections. Uh, I think two different trade paperbacks uh, of collecting this whole arc um and you'll be able to see riri williams in some upcoming live action uh portrayals in film and television so keep an eye out for ironheart but raven you are a first-time guest mm-hmm. and we always ask on this uh, on the protagonist podcast the dinner guest question because we like to celebrate great characters if you could have a dinner party with a handful of fictional characters that you could just hang out with for an evening and enjoy the conversation who would you want to invite um, I love this question, first of all, because I thought about it for literal days. Uh, and I <laughs> I ended up having to um, just like confine myself to comic book characters uh, to just like help myself narrow it down. But uh, my I think if I would invite folks to dinner. Um, so first of all, Lois Lane. Um, I I'm honestly really obsessed with Lois Lane. Um, Lunella Lafayette, because I just feel like I just want to be her friend so bad. Like I just, I love her so much. Um, I think uh, Joe uh, Mullen, the Green Lantern, um, America Chavez, who I just feel in my heart, like we would be really good friends. Um, And then Goldie. Yeah. In a multiverse out there. You are right. (laughs) (laughs) See, see, I love how this works. Um, and then I think the last person that I would say um, is Goldie Vance, uh, who, like, if you're not familiar with those graphic novels, are, like, super cute, uh, like, middle grade detective stories. Um, they're kind of Nancy Drew-esque with, like, a little brown girl. I mean, like, they're just super adorable. Um, and I just think she's so funny. 
Um, so those are those are the those are my people I would love to have a dinner party with. Oh, what a great grouping. <laughs> and I will just note, if you ever want to come back on, I've had doing a podcast episode about Moon Girl on like our to-do list for about two years. It's been in like this grab bag uh, oh my gosh. I have of characters that we need to talk about. Because I'm also <laughs> I'm also obsessed with Moon Girl for like very different reasons, like similar reasons. But I mean, Lunella is amazing. So yeah, would definitely come back to talk about her. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Uh, thank you listeners for joining us for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows. You can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Scott Tofty who composed our theme music. Uh, Raven, is there anything you would like to plug? Um, if you enjoyed listening to me talk about comics, I do have a column over at catapult magazine called Superhero Girlfriends Anonymous, where I write personal essays uh, around particular superhero girlfriends um, that are important to me. Um, well, that sounds very interesting. And uh, can, what was the site where they could find that again? Catapult Magazine. Um, so it's catapult.co, so catapult.co, not C-O-N-E-C-O. Okay. Well, thank you again, Raven, for jumping on this episode and joining us. Thank you, listeners, for downloading. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So Oh, Raven, that was great. Oh, Thank yay. you so much. No problem. That was super fun. Oh, that was really, that was really, really fun. <laughs>